Hello and welcome to the Kick in the Creatives podcast, hosted by myself, Sandra Busby, and my fellow creative, Tara Roskell, offering you interviews, inspiration, motivation, and a gentle prod in the right direction. And for lots more information, challenges, and other useful tools to help you get creating, you can go to www.kickinthecreatives.com. And of course, this is where you can also find today's show notes. Enjoy the show. Amy Eaton is a product and brand photographer turned educator. Amy teaches makers, artists and creatives how to take gorgeous photographs for their business. Today, we chat to Amy about how to keep it simple, create beautiful photographs for your social media and above all, the importance of keeping it real. Tara and I learned so much from this interview and we hope you do too. Thanks so much, first of all, for joining us today, Amy, because, you know, I'm sure you're going to be a very inspiring person to chat to. Um, and what we'd love to know, first of all, is a little bit about your creative journey prior to what you do now. Yeah, so... I love talking about this for one, because I think that it's something that a lot of people struggle with when they are a creative professional off and on. I had a really long journey from photographer to this current iteration of my business, which is mostly teaching people photography. Um, So I started as a photographer in 2008, and I worked in various capacities as a photographer throughout the years alongside a day job that I was also working that made me very unhappy, which is a common story for a lot of us creatives. Mm. Um, And I kind of got to a point where the narrative I was sharing with myself was that I I really wasn't a very creative person. Even even as a photographer, I didn't feel like a creative person, which I've gone, I've gone through a lot of processing and, and, you know, reflection and, and healing. And I've met a point now where I feel like that's a little silly for me to have thought that, but I really felt like I didn't necessarily bring a lot to the table that was unique or special or, and it didn't feel creative to me. And I had, because I'd been a working photographer, especially as a product and brand photographer, you spend a lot of time trying to capture other people's visions for their brand. Um, you know, you want to capture their vibe and their aesthetic. And I had lost what mine even was, or maybe I never, ever fully really knew what mine was. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, I got to a point where last summer, and this was actually after I started teaching, I'll kind of loop back to that before this, this kind of happened as I was even, even in my current iteration of my business, this was a message I was telling myself that I wasn't a creative person. I, I was liked being surrounded by creatives by teaching them photography, but me personally, not so much creative person. This is what I was telling myself. And um, I found that the photos I was taking just didn't feel like anything. There was no emotion or creativity behind them. I took a photo of my kids and was like, yeah, it looks like it could be in a catalog, whatever. Nice shirts. You know, there was no emotion (laughs) behind it. I didn't feel any kind of, you know, emotion that you should feel when you create art or at least you should feel something, you know? Um, so I really, to me, I was, that was further evidence that I wasn't a creative person. And then I went through kind of a tough time of, um, the I feel like creativity, if you don't express it and it's in you, it will find a way to manifest. And if you're continually shoving it down and denying it, it may start to burst out of you in strange ways like it did for me. Like just randomly, I just burst out crying in the shower because I just wanted so badly to create something, but had this kind of block up about it and didn't feel like I should or could or whatever or was capable or whatever. So I I went on a bit of a journey with some support from other people who were working through this with me. And I very slowly and somewhat painfully (laughs) rediscovered this creative joy of mine through photography. Um, And it was a slow, it was a slow process for sure. It's a, it's an ongoing process too. And I think we're all like that as working creative professionals there's always times when we feel more creative than others. So it's still a process, but I 
I started out by just doing more, taking more photos and, and I wasn't sharing them, which was important to me because everything that I created, I created thinking that I'd have to share this, that I would share it. How is this going to resonate with somebody? I felt like every time I was creating something, I was creating for other people, whether it be for a client or for feedback on social media or for marketing or whatever. And so I took the time to just take photos for myself with the intention of never sharing them. Maybe someday in a book or something I would, that I would write in my dreams, but <laughs> not, um, not for the purpose of just, you know, posting them on social media right away and sharing my story. I really wanted to keep them for myself. So I felt like the creation was truly for me as a creative person. And I kind of experienced a bit of a creative rebirth through that. And that was really amazing. And while what I was going through that and I was still teaching people photography, um, so that in that capacity, my business hadn't really changed, but I changed. So I felt like I was no longer somebody who was providing this service for the creative community. I shifted to feel like I was part of the creative community and I was sharing my, my experience and my knowledge to, so that we can all be better as creative. So it was a, it was a subtle shift looking inward. I'm sure if someone was outside looking in at my experience, it probably seemed like a subtle shift, but for me, it felt like a very big shift and it was really, it was great. So can you tell us exactly what you do now having you know, got your feeling for creativity back? Yeah. So I teach product photography to creatives mostly. So now that I have embraced my creativity more, I infuse a lot more creativity into my teaching. So originally I was, it was very technical focus, which is important and people need to learn that. And I have a, a capacity to teach it in a very simplified way. So it's easy to understand. Um, but the missing piece was that joy, you know, so I would have students who I, would who would take my course and who would learn how to take great photos for their business, but they still didn't feel like they liked it. It still felt like a chore for them. And I felt like I had missed something important in delivering that. So now that I've kind of rediscovered my creativity and my joy for my own craft, I'm able to infuse that into my programs more and my teaching and, you know, all of the advice that I give in a way that people start to see photography in a new way. So if before it was something that was a thorn in their side as a maker or an artist or whatever, somebody who creates products that has to sell online, often that photography piece is such a drag. Um, now it's something that people are starting to shift and see as more of an extension of their creative process, something that can be kind of the cherry on top of their creative process. So they make this beautiful thing and then they capture it in a way that does it great justice and can help it find its new home. And then they still have those photos afterwards to experience and cherish that thing that they made. And it's become a more holistic way of teaching, I think now. So obviously as artists, we've got to make sure that we take a good photo of our art, haven't we? Um, mm -hmm. Also one that doesn't make it look better than it actually is if we're going to sell. So that's, that's one sort of part of what I want to talk about with you, but also how important do you think that taking a good photo is for a creative person, not just of their work, but also for their social media? And how do you balance all of that? And, you know, how important is the photographing process for an artist? It's, it's so important. And you really nailed it when you said that people have a tendency to want to tweak it to make it look better than it really is. Mm. In the, you know, maintaining the authenticity and integrity of your actual piece is so important from yeah. the color representation to capturing the textures. You don't want to misrepresent your photo by uh, maybe taking the editing too far and enriching those colors and maybe beefing up that texture, but you definitely want to have the skill set to capture it in a way that does honor it for exactly what it is so that people can really experience it in it through an online sales type situation, because it can be so hard for people to put that into context and imagine what 
the texture of a piece looks like or mm. how the colors look in real life. And that's something that can be really hard to communicate through photos. So by being able to do that in your photos, that that's why it's so important. You're tr you have to really replace that kind of in-person experience for people and do that through your photography. So that doesn't mean, you know, taking a just a great photo. It's important to make sure that your piece is really authentically represented in that photo. So for those of us, well, like me and Sandra, who know not much about photography or <laughs> we haven't got a really fancy camera, can you give us a few tips on how to photograph our artwork? Oh, yeah, for sure. I The number one thing is always going to be your lighting. Lighting is the most important ingredient in the recipe of photography it's photography is literally derived from the greek meaning drawing with light so light is an imperative piece to this puzzle <laughs> yeah. uh, so it, it is really important to have great lighting so that means that the lighting should be neutral in color so day typically mid midday daylight is neutral in color if you've ever gone to the store and bought light bulbs for your home, you probably have noticed that there's kind of that cool bluish light and there's also a warm kind of reddish orangey light. And those are, are different uh, spectrums of the color temperature that light can have. So finding something that's in that neutral zone, which is usually around between 5,000 and 6,000 Kelvin for you people who like numbers and you know, specific <laughs> information. That would be the, the temperature of light you'd want to seek out. Um, having that neutral color is really important because again, those, the color of the light, if it is too blue or if it is too warm, it will affect the colors of your piece as well and misrepresent it. So having that neutral color is really, really important. Also avoiding direct light is really important. So that would be light that comes directly from the source to hit your your piece of art or your product or whatever it is. So if you're out in kind of broad daylight in the middle of an open area and the sun's just beating down on you, that would be direct light. That light is coming directly from the sun to hit your product or your piece. And if you use the flash on your camera, the like pop-up flash or the, the flash on your smartphone camera, that is also direct light, light that would go directly from the source of the light to hit your product. So it's really important to either seek out indirect light, which is light that has bounced off something else. So if you're in a room in your home and it's a, it's a fairly brightly lit room, you know, there's no lights on, but it's pretty bright in there. That's indirect light. So that's light that is coming in from the window, but it's kind of bouncing off the walls and just brightening the space in general. And another uh, type of indirect light will be um, diffused light. And that is light that actually travels through some sort of translucent material. So if you have a ring light, like I have a ring light right now that's, you know, blasting me in the face, very bright. <laughs> and it's uh, it has a translucent plastic covering. So the light that's coming from those little LED light bulbs inside is traveling through this translucent material. Those light rays are getting kind of broken up and scattering makes it a lot softer. So that soft indirect light is what you want to uh, find and, and use the most. And it should be plenty bright. You don't want to be kind of grappling with light that is too low, that's kind of later in the day, or maybe in a darker room in your home. It, that's going to make it difficult to really get a good quality light that's going to give you a nice, crisp, sharp photo that can show off all of the textures and brush strokes and all of those special things um, that go along with your pieces. So um, lighting sh for sure is number one. Um, styling is also important. It, and we're, I think we're going to get to that soon when we talk about kind of how you can stand out and, you know, appeal to yeah, people. Yeah. But yeah, styling is really important. Choosing the right props and backgrounds and kind of scene. Uh, and of course, editing. Editing is super important and it can be tricky. It's a delicate process <laughs> because you don't want to overdo it, like I mentioned before, mm. but you do need to do a few key things like size your photo appropriately, crop it so that it's really straight and they kind of the edges of your art piece uh, are aligned with the edges of the photo. So that it looks really clean and professional. Um, you want to make sure that you do something called embedding a color profile, which I can get into. That's a whole tech thing. I, there's a video about it on my YouTube channel. If anybody wants more yeah. information, essentially that just makes sure that the, the colors are rendered accurately across different websites on the internet. Right. 
Right. Um, so yeah, there's a few key things that really need to happen when you edit. So that's important as well. And that's kind of the brief <laughs> how to you know, of how to take a good photo. Talking about lights, the hardest um, paintings I find to photograph, first of all, are the ones I do that are dark, you know, have a dark mm. background because I always find the light just bounces back off of the, of the canvas and it kind of goes turns into this hazy blue color and I find that a nightmare but I've got in fact we've both got these lights haven't we we've got some yeah, same quite ones. cheap soft box lights mm-hmm. but they're really big and bulky um and I, they don't seem to give off a great deal of light so mm. what, what would you say is a good alternative to lights like that that are a bit better and maybe a bit smaller and a bit brighter Oh, have I got a recommendation for you? <laughs> so I also was a you know user of the softbox lights for a long mm. time. That was very a very traditional type of lighting that photographers would use. But in this kind of new day and age, there are these magical things called LED panels. And my husband paints miniature models. He's a Warhammer player. He paints little tiny miniatures and he takes photos of them and he wanted better light and ones that weren't big and bulky and he didn't have to take so so much time to set up. So I did some research and discovered these LED panels and I, they're about 14 inches. They're like a size, kind of like a, the shape of a piece of paper, 14 inches uh, long on the long side. So they're small, they're thin, you know, like a, like a TV, like a flat screen TV would be. Uh, And they're really easy to stash and store. And the light is fantastic. They are really high quality, very bright. And the best part is that the, the, there's a really good color rating index for those. So the color rating index indicates how, uh, accurate your colors will be. Um, and I know that a lot of soft boxes have those fluorescent lights. There's those kind of mm. like light bulbs inside that are the coils. Um, and that's what I always had. And so when I actually got these new lights, I tested them. I, I kind of used, did, did a shot of the exact same thing, same backdrop and everything with the soft box light soft boxes versus the led panels. And the difference is shocking. The really? LED panels, the color is so accurate. It was really, really amazing. And just the overall brightness and ease of use was far, far superior. So I, I highly recommend LED panels. Are they those ones that are kind of long and thin? Like they're not... They're they... Not really. They'd be more like the size of your like laptop screen. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. They're bigger. Do you know what the brand is? Is there a brand that you're using or... I use the newer brand. So I like to buy, first of all, just as a person in general, I don't really feel the need to spend incredible heaps of money on my photography equipment just for the sake of it. If I can buy, if I can get something that works really well for less, Mm. I will buy that. Yeah. (laughs) And especially because I want to use the same tools that I recommend to my students and they're not necessarily going to go out and buy the best equipment that they can get. So I, uh, you know, with the exception of my camera, which of course is a higher end one, I try to keep like the lighting and all that pretty simple and and accessible. So uh, I buy, I, the ones I got were from Amazon and I think you can get them at on pretty much any Amazon across the globe. I know I have students from all over the place, UK, US, Australia, Canada, and they are able to get them. So it's the new, it's called the newer brand. It's N-E-E-W-E-R. And I have found that brand to be really reliable. It's, um, it's a, it's a, I don't, cheap isn't the right word. I will use the word affordable. I have had no problems with its effectiveness or anything. Um, do they work for overhead videos as well? They would, I think. Yeah, Mm. you definitely could. Cause you can, um, you can either buy them to include light stands or if you already have light stands, um, you can buy just the, the panels themselves Mm. if you put them on, uh, and you can raise those light stands up pretty high and you can, they, they rotate so you can have them pointing down. Um, you can kind of really, there's a lot of flexibility in terms of the angle of the light and you for sure could use them for, for you know, those flat lay type videos and photos. But it just goes to show, doesn't it? You don't have to spend the earth, do you? I think a lot of people would assume that if you're buying lights, professional photographic lights, you'd have to have the expensive type, but you really don't, do you? You don't. I mean, if I go to a camera store and I try to price out lighting, it's like a thousand dollars. It's just Mm. outrageous. And for certain circumstances, absolutely. If I was a, you know, uh, a high-end commercial photographer working commercial photographer doing uh, big accounts, then I would probably need 
some lights like that for sure. Yeah. Uh, but as, as somebody, first of all, I don't even take on client work anymore. So I, I'm literally just kind of channeling through what my students will need <laughs> and what my husband uses for his stuff too. And kind of trying to experience that from their angle. And I have been really impressed with some of the tools that I have found for less, like really, really pleased. <laughs> so you, you don't have to spend the world and that's some great news. Now, Mr. Matt, I have some LED lights, but I think I've made the mistake that mine are really small. Mm. Just don't give up enough light. Like these are like 14 centimeters rather than 14 inches, like you, like you've said. Yeah, it, big is better in the, when it comes to lighting, typically speaking, because the smaller your point of light is, the more, first of all, you won't be able to cast a, a very large area, light over a very large area. Yeah. And also the smaller the light is, the more kind of directional it is and the more likely you're going to get kind of a, a pinpoint type of lighting or some weird shadowing happening. So a larger light source is going to help you more evenly light a larger area, especially for artwork. You're going to want some bigger lights. And would you use two of those set at an angle? Yes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, there are some instances in which I would only use one, but that would be to create maybe like a bit of a more dynamic lighting situation that mimics natural light and there would be reflectors mm. involved and I won't get into the details of, high, <laughs> you know, complex setups, but uh, for someone thinking about buying them, yes, I would definitely recommend buying two. It will make your life much easier. And what, what would you do then? Put them at a 45 degree angle or something like that down? I would play around with it. 45 degree angle is a great place to start. Yeah. And then if you are experiencing reflections, this is one of my top tips about reflections. And I actually learned this back in my portrait days of taking photos of people in studio with glasses on. If you raise the lights higher than the reflective piece or material or whatever, then you won't get reflections in them and it will still light the area. So if you find that you have a, a piece of artwork that's, you know, a particularly glossy finish and you want to raise those lights up and kind of point them down, you can absolutely try that. Um, and I recommend starting with 45 degree angle and then playing around. There's no, uh, there's not really a nest, a specific, setup that is going to be the only setup you'll ever use and the perfect setup. It depends on your product and your room and what kind of shot you're trying to take, whether it be flat lay or upright. Um, but I would say, yeah, start with your 45. That's how I usually, that's how I teach it. That's how it looks in my courses. Mm. When you go through the, the demos, uh, it, the first one is the 45 degree angle. And then we start moving them around to get some more di dynamic lighting situation to make it look a little more natural, interesting. And that, you know, for kind of setting scene and stuff like that. You mentioned before you touched on um, making things sort of styling them to make them look good. So perhaps you go into that a little bit more on how we can make our work stand out on social media. Yeah. And it, it is really important to try to find ways to stand out on social media, of course, because it is so, there's so much noise on social media. So posting photos that are more appealing to your ideal customers and ideal customers is one of those topics that some people uh, start to shut down. We start talking about ideal customers. Like, what is that? I don't want to deal with that. Or yeah. I just want to sell to everybody who wants to buy my stuff. And while that is, can be true and fine, uh, we find that uh, our efforts pay off a lot better when we focus on a specific type of person, whether that be uh, their interests. I mean, there's a lot of different pieces that go into that. That's kind of another conversation altogether. But knowing who this person is, who you, you're looking to attract, who is most likely to follow you, engage with your content, buy your stuff, knowing that person and including things in photos that you think will appeal to them can be a very powerful way of getting someone's attention on social media. So if you, uh, let's say your artwork is really... Um, vibes with nature very well. It, you know, there's a real earthy vibe to it. And so you would assume that your ideal customers who is likely to buy that piece probably also really loves nature and is kind of a, a bit of a tree hugger, loves, you know, plants and foliage and all of that stuff. You can incorporate those things into your style photos. Plants are always a good call when it comes to props, no matter what your brand is like or your products are, there's probably a plant for you <laughs> because there's so many different ones and they always look so great. I do recommend avoiding fake plants. So you will have to go through the effort of getting 
real live plants, even even dried plants. Some of those like dried hydrangea looks really nice or dried eucalyptus can look really nice. Um, but I, I highly recommend uh, always going with not fake plant life. Um, but yeah, overall, just thinking about who your ideal customer is, what kinds of things will resonate with them, what will speak to them so that when they're scrolling, they see something and they know, well, this is for me and I'm going to stop and check it out. And, and it's just something that really makes them stop that scroll because it does really connect with them and, and it makes them feel like it makes sense for them. So whether that's the scene, like if you want to, you could try shooting your artwork outside in the forest, if that was the case, like that might be something that would really appeal to your ideal customer or as a flat lay with like a nice wood background and some plants and maybe some, I don't know, moss or pine cones or whatever it is and incorporate some of those pieces in. So I think it's just really important to draw elements into your photo from everything from backgrounds to props to scenery and how you can kind of cultivate that photo to grab the attention of the people who are most likely to resonate with your stuff. And how would you plan that out? Would you actually sit there and scribble little ideas out or would you just go grab a load of props and try things? I like to, there's a brainstorming element that I highly encourage. Um, and I include that in, I actually just recently released a course that's, uh, I priced it super low at $37. It's completely about styling and it's my favorite thing I've probably ever done just because I love how, uh, in depth it is, but also accessible it is. That's something that I feel really good about. So, um, in that I provide, um, a, a course workbook that includes a lot of this brainstorming processing stuff. Like who is your ideal customer? What kind of vibe does your brand have? What props fit that vibe and what scenes fit that vibe and how can you tell a story? Like what story could you tell about your, um, your products? Where will they be when they go to their new home? Where do you picture it being in someone's home or what role is it playing and kind of going through that brainstorming process, because that's going to help get you, you, the way you experience your artwork is different than the way a buyer will experience it. Some people will include props like their paintbrushes or whatever. And that is how you relate to your product, but your customer will relate to it differently. They're going to think about where it's going to go in their home, how they could, uh, maybe they can put it on a shelf and style it in a cool way, or maybe they're going to buy it for a friend and what that might mean to them. And those are the kinds of things that you want to communicate with your styling to attract the right person. Do you think you can overstyle? Can you actually work too hard on it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, there, you definitely can. I, so for, for product listing photos, when you're selling online, um, you know, whether it be on your own website or selling on Etsy or whatever, in your actual product listing photos, it's a really good idea to keep those props to a minimum, maybe just one or two props on a simple background uh, that doesn't uh, pull focus away from your work. Um, because someone who is on your listing is kind of already in that decision phase that you've already attracted them and convinced them they should check it out. They're into it. They're there to feel informed about your product. Like they really know it so that they can make that, that kind of purchase. So props aren't as important at this phase of getting someone to your website because they're kind of already sold. The props are really helpful in helping sell the lifestyle around your artwork or, uh, appeal to that person and grab their attention. And that is a great place for maybe if you sell on Etsy, that could be one of your main photos so that you can grab somebody's attention in the search results or on Instagram or what have you. Uh, but even in those scenarios, I think it's really important to keep it to a minimum. The main, I don't, I'm, I don't have a specific number. I would say don't go over this amount because it really depends on your product and your piece and the props you're using. But typically, when you glance at that photo, the thing that jumps out needs to be your artwork. And if there's too many things in that photo that is just making it too busy and your piece is getting drowned out, then you have too many. Oh, it's distracting, yeah, from what you're actually mm -hmm. trying to show, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. So, so if you are someone um, who either doesn't get a lot of time to create or maybe one piece of work takes a long time to create, what suggestions do you have to get more mileage out of that one piece of work? I mean, I worry a lot about people getting bored of me posting, say, progress shots of one painting over a long period of time because I do oil paintings and I use layers. So sometimes they can take a few weeks to, to finish. 
Um, and then all the all the time um, I'm worried about, oh, well, by the time I get to the finished piece, there's there's no kind of, you know, ta-da moment where it's like, oh, here's the finished piece because they'll be going, yeah, yeah, barely changed from last time. So <laughs> how, do, how do we get around that? And I always think as well, do we post lifestyle photographs in between products or should it always be about your product and it's just really hard to work out how to keep people interested I think that variety is so key Mm. and also remembering that when people buy from an artist they're buying from the artist because they want something unique and special and they're buying usually because they want to buy from a real person instead of just going to like some home decor store and buying some random, you know, wall painting. They, you know, that's just whatever. But when someone's taking the time to buy something from an artist or if they're interested in that, then there's a connection there. You know, they're going to have that piece that you created on their wall. And that's really mm. special. And buyers feel that. And so giving them the opportunity to get to know you can be so important, special and valuable. And Instagram is the best place to do that because that's where people want to connect. It is social media. And although Instagram is certainly doing a lot to encourage sales on the platform, there is really the overall sense from customers still that they really just want to get to know you and become fans and fall in love with your work through the platform, as opposed to just be sold to on the platform. So in doing that, you absolutely should mix up your Instagram. Please do share those works in progress photos. You don't have to share every single step. Like you said, if you want a nice element of surprise, Mm. but people do love that. And they're, I think they're more invested in those pieces. And as they see it coming along, they may think, um, well, I, I think I want that in my home, especially because they've kind of seen it being birthed and that's really special too. <laughs> uh, but you can also share photos of your studio and your workspace and what that looks like so they can envision where these works are coming to life and things that are important to you. It doesn't have to be super personal, but maybe like a, a playlist you love to listen to um, when you're creating or the view outside your studio window or, you know, where you have found inspiration. Like, let's say you went to the beach and you found inspiration, inspiration for a piece, share a photo of the beach that inspired you. Um, you can share if any of your customers share photos of your artwork in the home, you can absolutely share those with their permission, of course. And you can also explore the idea of plopping your artwork into mock-ups. That is a whole other conversation we'd have as well. And it does have to be done well and tastefully and properly. That was actually my job once was I created mock-ups for an artist. She would can, send me Can I just photos. ask, sorry to yeah. interrupt, but can I just clarify what you mean by a mock-up? Is it? Are you talking about one of those um, photos where you kind of superimpose your painting onto someone else's wall? Is that right? Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And you can buy ones that are set up specifically for the purpose of a mock-up. So a lot of the um, kind of technical stuff is already taken. Like there may already be kind of a drop shadow on the wall to make it look real. And, um, so there, there's, uh, there's tricks to it to make it look like it's real, but there are absolutely some that look so good when it is done. So if you're, if you're interested in delving into the world of mock-ups, that is a way that you could share more photos of, of your work in different contexts. And then that way you are selling kind of the lifestyle around your pieces and, um, communicating that vibe and that that kind of aesthetic that would go well with your work, so that people can see that um, when they're when they're browsing and know that that may very well be a great piece for them. Uh, but I think just don't be afraid to share a wide variety of behind the scenes of your inspiration, your process, yourself. Don't be afraid to show yourself. Um, and that variety is going to create a, a pretty strong connection with your followers that makes them excited to buy so that when you have something new, they're kind of all clamoring to get it because mm. they do feel this connection with you. It's going to increase your engagement. It's going it, to you know, boost that algorithm we're always talking about. And mixing it up is, is really, really important and valuable on platforms like Instagram. I just want to go back to the mock-ups. And one thing yeah. that's always worried me a little bit about the mock-ups is I know how to tweak them. I'm a designer, so I, I know how to tweak stuff. But mm-hmm. obviously, if you're dropping them in, you've got to be really careful, haven't you, that you're not showing a picture that's actually quite small and you're showing it against a sofa and it looks massive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought that as well, yeah. 
you're so right. It should definitely be authentic. You wouldn't want to yeah. post something that looks really big and you don't even sell it in that size. It has to again go back to like kind of the authenticity and the integrity piece. What I like to do, if you have smaller pieces, you can get photos for mock-ups that's like somebody's bed that's like a bedside table and you can Mm. just so if you have something that's you know maybe an 8 by 10 or 11 by 14 you can get some of those photos that are a little bit more zoomed in as opposed to a whole room and how it would look above a coach but maybe how it would look just um like hanging above somebody's nightstand like by their bed or something like that so you can kind of grab mock-ups that yeah allow for smaller pieces to be represented really well but also authentically (laughs) Yeah, like one above the toilet, something like that, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, if you're going back to doing the lifestyle idea, say you're just going to show like your morning coffee and you get ready, mm-hmm. how would you make that look a bit nicer? Because if, if I did that, I know it would look really boring. <laughs> a, chip, a chipped margin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> coffee Choose rings on cute... the work surface. <laughs> Choose a cute mug that morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but you can, I mean, this, I do stuff like this all the time because I have two kids who are really young and demand my time. And I don't always have time to set up these elaborate photo shoots. So often I'm just kind of like, well, this looks kind of nice. I'm going to grab it. So what I'll do, first of all, is take it to a place where there's great light. So mm-hmm. kind of going back to that great light situation and I'll find a surface that is a nice surface. So I, I mean, I'm probably not going to go grab one of my backdrops for a situation like that, but rather than kind of place it on my countertop, which looks a little shoddy right now, maybe I will put it on like the desk in my, in my office or the nightstand in my bedroom that has like kind of a neat wood grain that's going to look really nice. And then I'll just grab a couple of things that go with it. And also angles are important. So, um, think about how it's going to come across in the photo. A lot of times, okay, I'm just going to make it really simple. Either flat lay or straight on at eye level is typically your best bet usually um, in keeping it simple because sometimes there's certain angles that just don't flatter things, especially like mugs because everything that's closer to the camera appears larger. So you can get some really strange distortion in a mug Mm, that looks really odd. So just on the mug topic, but that goes for anything. Um, so, but if you do photograph kind of straight on a flat lay, uh, like straight down, kind of your bird's eye view or straight on at kind of your eye level view, then you are probably going to have a decent angle there. So lighting background angle, if you want to grab a few props, it can either be like this, you know, a spoon, maybe a plate of cookies or something or muffin, uh, or you can have books if you're going to be reading or maybe your journal or, whatever you're going to be diving into, have that, you know, alongside to continue the narrative a little bit more in your caption and make it relevant. Um, Yeah. So those, those would be kind of how I would do it. It doesn't have to be elaborate, but just kind of thinking a few things like lighting background and what else you could include in the photo to carry that on. And of course your angles that ways to elevate it a little. Just going back, we sort of mentioned the fancy camera earlier on. Um, you don't really need that now, do you? Because the iPhones or the smartphones are so good, aren't they? Their their um, cameras are amazing. They're pretty good. Uh, admittedly, I still will use my DSLR for almost everything that I post. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's just one of those things where the the iPhone cameras are better than they've ever been, uh, but the the sensor is very small, obviously, because mm. it's fitting inside of a, a smartphone. And the sensor is a really important part of creating a high quality photo. So, uh, you know, DSLR cameras have pretty big sensors yeah. and you just can't get a big sensor, obviously, in a small phone like this. So um, there are limitations, but there is nothing stopping you from starting to learn photography or from taking that coffee shot in the morning mm. with your smartphone camera and going as far as you can with it and seeing how and maybe you don't ever need anything better. It just kind of depends on how, how fancy you want to get with your photography. But uh, there's definitely a lot of flexibility with these cameras in your phones today, for sure. I was just going to say, I love it when um, people shoot stuff like that and it's got that real shallow depth of field. So you've got the fuzzy mm-hmm. background, but you can actually do that with phones now, I think, can't you? A little bit. So there's a, like there's portrait mode on iPhones and what that is, the disclaimer that I'll say with that is that it is, it's not an authentic depth of field. So that fuzzy background is your, is your depth of field. And and that is a, a true effect of the mechanics of creating a photograph with a camera. I won't get into all the tech stuff, but um, that is a, a real genuine 
almost a side effect of certain things like certain settings in your camera. Um, but th that does look really nice and can really help highlight what you want people to pay attention to. Cause that'll mm. be the thing that's in focus. Um, the, with your smartphone, it's, uh, they kind of use like an AI filter situation. So they just kind of leave it up to your, your phone to figure out where the edges of the subject are. And then it blurs everything else. So it's not an authentic representation of the blurred background. Uh, and sometimes it can look a little odd. I've taken photos of my husband, like leaning against a, like with a chain link fence in behind him at the zoo or something. When I first got my phone, I was playing with portrait mode and like he was in focus. And then there was like this weird, like section of fence that was also in focus. So I think the camera was not really sure what was happening there. Um, so it's not perfect, uh, but it's certainly worth a shot. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of times uh, it can look, you know, not too bad. So it's worth a shot for sure. There was a time, wasn't there, a couple of years ago, where everybody seemed to be using these um, these filters that you can get on Instagram to kind of almost make their photographs look slightly muted, or there was all sorts of different ones, wasn't there? What do you think about those? Would you generally avoid them? Do you think that's a bit dated now? I do. I think mm. that people are keen on authenticity these days more than yeah. anything, and I think also my, my big, big caution when it comes to those kinds of filters and also presets, that's kind of like today's filters is people will yeah. buy presets for like Lightroom mm. and they often most of the time affect colors. And yeah. that, that can be cool for, you know, if you're taking a photo of your kid at the beach or yourself on top of a mountain, but if you're taking photos of artwork or, or a product that you made, it, the colors again, have to be represented really accurately. So those Filters and presets can often um, really mess with the color representation in a photo and make it like, you know, kind of missell the mm. look of your of your work. So that's really, really important. So definitely avoiding those. And if you do want to go with presets, I'd highly recommend getting presets that are specifically made for products so that um, they're designed to not affect colors. Can you suggest some simple ways to get a consistent look throughout Instagram photos? I know some people, you can just look at a photo and you know who's taken it. Um, I just wonder if there's some easy ways to do that. I think having that really consistent styling vibe is really important for that. That's one of those ways that kind of going through that brainstorming process about your brand and your ideal customer and knowing what they're into. And you can even develop kind of like a master list of backdrops that you use and props that you would include so that you are fairly cohesive about it. Maybe you flip back and forth between like three or four backgrounds, or if you're taking lifestyle photos of your studio that, uh, you know, it all, the vibe all fits together and makes sense. And I think that's really important is making sure that the styling of it is consistent. And that aside, you can edit them for consistency for sure. And there are certain editing styles that you can use. It's just really important to make sure that you're not using a filter that affects your colors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it, you can use that. So I have a set of presets that I sell that is for products. And I have like four or five um, styling, stylized ones that you could use for your um, your Instagram. If you always use the same one, it would mm. give you kind of the same style across all of your photos. Um, and that can be a helpful way. And you can even make presets yourself. Uh, there's, there, you can, it, they're not overly difficult. So if you do have a style that you use, if you find that you're kind of style uh, editing all of your photos uh, similarly for Instagram, then you can, you know, if you use something like Lightroom, even if it's Lightroom mobile on your phone or whatever, you can, you can save that as a preset and then apply it to all of your photos. I just want to mention that Lightroom, I think the mobile version is actually free, isn't it? For anybody who wants to use it. It is. There's, um, there's some premium features, but most of it is free. And I highly, it's the, my number one recommended app for mobile photography. You, there's a built-in camera that you can use that has a lot of kind of mobile controls that allow you to take uh, some more control over that smartphone camera. And then you can edit them right in the app and it does embed a color profile, which is really important. I talked about that earlier. A lot of editing programs don't necessarily do that. They skip that step, which is so important, but the Lightroom mobile app does and the free version is fantastic. Great. So we've talked about um, building a relationship with our followers, but to strengthen that at some point, they're going to want to see our face, aren't they? <laughs> so yes. aside from a big smile, which I think is really important, what do you think makes a good profile photo? And do you think people should share their faces often in their feeds? And also, 
do you think people should keep it real and avoid those um, airbrushed photos that you so often see on social media now? Because I know so many people I look at now and I think, oh, God, you know, their, their skin is flawless and, and soft focus and it looks amazing. But you know that it's an app and it's something I've never really wanted to do myself. But what do you think about all of that <laughs> and, and keeping, um, about keeping it real, I guess? Keep it, oh yes, please keep it real. Mm. I, I'm i just, it's not in my character to be kind of fakey fake on, on social yeah. media for better or for worse. <laughs> so, I mean, but I have found that people really appreciate that. And I think that then the people I follow tend to be more authentic uh, people as well and represent themselves in real ways. And the feedback always seems to be so positive. People want to connect with an actual person mm. more so than, you know, follow someone that, that, that is, they've put up on this pedestal and can't possibly ever achieve in their mind what what they're doing or what they have so by keeping it uh, keeping it real is so important and yeah in your photos absolutely I think so I could go off on a tangent right now about just you know society in general and I yeah. won't <laughs> but I think <laughs> I, I could that, join you <laughs> I bet but I, I really feel like we all need to do better to represent real life especially yeah. on social media there is so much photoshopping going on and there's so many people especially young people who are impressionable who are looking at these bodies and faces and feeling like they have to meet that standard when the people in the photos don't even meet that standard mm. because it's all fake like, yeah so it's perpetuating this feeling of someone of people feeling like they're never going to be good enough and they're never going to be able to do that and it's just awful and when we show up real and authentically without the Photoshop, without the filters, we give everyone else permission to do the same. And then everyone just feels a little bit better about themselves and we can all focus on getting back to work <laughs> and creating and doing what we love instead of being hung up on those things. So I think that showing up, uh, yeah, as, as best you can and, and as real as you can is really powerful. It's a gift for your followers. They're going to love it. And it also gives them permission to be themselves too. So basically wear plenty of makeup and put a hat on. <laughs> now I'll be honest, I will use filters in my stories sometimes because, you know, usually I have a, I mean, I just, it's not, I just woke up <laughs> I'm like I've been put on makeup for three days and my hair is a mess. Um, so, but I mean, I would be the first to say, Hey, this is the filter. I've had somebody message me after watching one of my um, stories and said, Oh my gosh, your skin is so beautiful. What do you do? And I'm like, I do nothing. And it's a filter. <laughs> so just so you know, yeah, that was just literally, I just, I wanted to say something and I looked really, really terrible without a filter. So I just put one up. Now, I mean, yes, I could obviously post that photo of me looking really terrible. And I wish, and it, sometimes I do. Absolutely. It just kind of depends on my mood of the day, but in your feed, I think it's that, that is the stuff that stays. And that is a uh, kind of a long-term represented representation of you. And I think that those photos are really important to keep uh, as genuine as possible. So what balance would you have with say showing your work and showing your actual self and showing your face in those photos? My personal rule and also recommendation is to have a photo of myself at least once every 12 posts, because when you look at Instagram on your phone, that is the view that people will see. Uh, maybe even once every nine. You know what? I'm actually going to Instagram right now to see how it looks like with your profile. Um, you, know, you only see like the top three, so that doesn't count. Anyway, um, yeah, I do, <laughs> I do recommend going with uh, the top. So make sure you have a photo of yourself at least every nine to 12 squares. So that that way, if somebody is scrolling, they're going to be like, see a photo of you in every uh, every screen basically. So they're not going to have to scroll for a while to find you. Mm. Uh, and then that way you do look like you're showing up. You can absolutely show up more. I do recommend a nice variety. Uh, but at a minimum, I think there should be a photo of you once every nine to 12 squares so that, you know, on every, no matter where someone is scrolling your profile feed, there is a picture of you. Also the, inst the, um, actual profile photograph. I know that some people just use perhaps a photograph of their work. Whereas I don't know about you, but I've always felt it's important to kind of relate to that actual person and who they are, who is posting. So are you, do you agree that a profile photo should, should be of you with your work at least rather than just 
perhaps a picture of one of your paintings or your products? Yes, absolutely. Mm. I teach, that's, that's how I encourage my students to do, uh, to have a photo of themselves in the actual profile photo. If you're like, you know, a business that's more of a team and you're made up of multiple, you know, people or whatever, I think that it's maybe okay to go with a logo of your Mm. business. But as, as a, you know, a solopreneur, as an artist, as a small business owner, and you're the face of your business, your profile photo has to be your face. And yeah, that's what makes people recognizable. Mm. We do have to think about Instagram as social media. It's not selling media. Mm, (laughs) It's social media. So that connection is really important. And when people start to blame the algorithm, which sometimes, I mean, the algorithm is a pain in the ass. So yeah, I understand. Like I do. Uh, But, but usually if we put social first, the algorithm follows. The important thing is to really focus on connection and focus on, you know, meeting people and connecting with customers and talking with people. And that's where the magic in social media is. So absolutely face of yourself as profile. So, I mean, this has been so interesting, actually. Um, I think we, we've we learned a lot from this, Tara, yeah, we ourselves. Have, um, I'm sure this is going to be so inspiring for so many people. So where, where can people find out more about you and what you do? Oh, I would love that. I hope mm. that people will come join me on Instagram for one. Um, I do, uh, I have a social media assistant who posts for me on Facebook, but I will be on Instagram. <laughs> That's where I hang out personally. So uh, I'm at amy.takes.pictures on Instagram. And if you give me a follow, please feel free to send me a DM and say hello. I do genuinely enjoy connecting on Instagram. I think that it's a really fun platform in that way. And it's a great opportunity to connect with people. So would love to see you there. I've just followed. Uh, I've just followed. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you. Um, And also my website, amytakespictures.com. And there you will find everything that I offer for courses, as well as links to my YouTube channel and my podcast, Bold Company. And yeah, all of the details for further getting to know me will be there. Can I just ask what's your podcast about, your Bold Company? Bold Company is a podcast in which I talk with business people, creative business owners, and it is completely unscripted and it is completely unplanned. And I just have guests on who I think are interesting and who have done cool things for their business. And we talk for about an hour. Oh, cool. And it's really fun. The conversations go in some really special, interesting places. It's kind of like if you were going to go for coffee with, you know, a fellow entrepreneur and you just kind of get into all of that, you just nerd out over business. Um, we don't get into a lot of the how to's. A lot of it is kind of like, well, my business was really terrible in the beginning. It's a little better now, <laughs> but speaking of keeping it real and authentic, Bold Company is very real and authentic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just, and I, when I created it, I just really thought, you know, how cool would it be to give people a chance to be kind of a fly on the wall mm. in just a conversation between two business owners, two entrepreneurs, and just talking about business and, and where they failed and where they wish they'd done better and where they're struggling now and where they're doing well now. And well, um, we can relate um, to that, can't we, Tara? Totally right. Our yeah. podcast is, is certainly mostly about just me and Tara chin-wagging and people listening. <laughs> <laughs> no idea That's why they awesome. do. But... <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. It is. We have a great time and it's largely due to as, uh, people like you as well who join us sometimes. So thank you ever so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and it's been really lovely to talk to you. Well, thanks to you both. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and if you did, perhaps you'd like to share it and leave a review for us on iTunes.